want to welcome uh, those of you joining us just now from our Farmington Hills campus and joining us online. It's a very special Sunday already. Dan Sered was born and raised in Israel. He is 100% Jewish and 100% Christian. He is a Jew who sees and believes that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah of Jewish expectation. He and his wife work with a group of like-minded Jewish people to help others who want to uh, take their rich Jewish faith and history and heritage and meld that with a reference with the acknowledgement of Jesus in their lives. This afternoon, he'll be leading us in a Seder experience, teaching us how Jesus Christ is present in the Old Testament Passover. That afternoon event is filled to capacity. I'm sorry if you weren't able to uh, get in. Dan and his wife worked and lived in Israel for many years, but recently they've made make their home in New Jersey, where they work with a group called Jews for Jesus. Also with us this morning is Rabbi Lauren Jacobs, who uh, pastors and leads a Messianic congregation right here in Metro Detroit. Welcome to you, Lauren. We, we want, yeah, thank you. I want you to see a brief overview a video of the ministry of Jews for Jesus. And at the conclusion of this video, would you in Northville and there in Farmington Hills please give a warm Ward Church welcome to Dan Sarid at the conclusion of this video. But first, watch this. Jews for Jesus started as a slogan, but by 1973, it had officially become a thriving evangelistic ministry. Jewish people with a passion to share the good news that our Messiah has come. Over the last 50 years, Jews for Jesus has proclaimed the gospel in some of the biggest Jewish communities around the world, from South Africa to Budapest, from New York to Jerusalem. We stand as living proof that it is possible to be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And by God's grace, Tens of thousands of Jewish people across the globe have now met their Messiah too. In the Hebrew Scriptures, God instructed the people of Israel to declare every 50th year as a Jubilee, an appointed time for liberty to be proclaimed, debts forgiven, property returned, and slaves set free. That's why this year, during May, June, and July, Jews for Jesus will be sharing the message of liberty and Messiah to 20 different Jewish communities all at the same time. This will be the most comprehensive global outreach we've ever conducted, with hundreds of missionaries and volunteers sharing the good news across the world. And we can't do it without you. Most Jewish people still have never heard the message that Jesus is their Messiah, the very one who came to set the captives free to fulfill the true meaning of Jubilee. Will you join with us to declare liberty to those in bondage, to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted? Together, we can reach the Jewish people with the good news of the year of Jubilee. Thank you, thank you. Shalom, everybody. 
It is a great privilege and an honor to be here. Uh, Pastor Scott, thank you so much for your friendship and for your partnership um, here at um, Word Church. You guys have been such a blessing to our ministry, Jews for Jesus. Um, we are excited um, about this celebration of our Jubilee, 50 years celebrating God's faithfulness and His grace. And uh, we praise God for all that He's doing through our ministry. In our ministry, we relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. And we're passionate about bringing the gospel to Jewish people all over the world. God's plan of salvation for Jewish people is the same plan of salvation that God has for all people. It's only through faith in the Messiah of Israel, the Messiah, Jesus. And in the church foyer, I have um, some um, literature. If you want to check it out, I have this brochure that gives you more information about our Jubilee and also we would be honored if you would partner with us through your prayers and prayer is the most um, important way of how you could partner with our ministry. Pray for the salvation of Jewish people and on that literature table and I also have our, our family's prayer card you can check it out. You can also receive our prayer updates as well by signing up there on the QR code and partner with us and let's pray for the Jewish people to come to know Messiah Jesus. Now, um, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? So please um, take out your Bibles and open to the book of Philippians. Um, I'll be reading from chapter 1. We'll read verses 18 to 30. So Philippians chapter 1 verses 18 to 30. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, convinced on this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may, be, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only yet let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
may be seated. As Jesus entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday long ago, he, the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. By doing that, they were expressing the hope for the future. No matter what is happening in the presence, the hope that we have only in Jesus. Jesus is the only solution and the only hope, and that propels us to share the gospel. Jesus being our hope for the future is the essence of God's mission. You know, the greatest Jews for Jesus missionary that ever lived was no doubt the Apostle Paul. We all know the impact that he had for Christ. Now, Paul had to pay a great price for believing in Jesus, for following Jesus, and for serving Jesus. But Paul was willing to pay that price because he knew that Jesus and the gospel is the only hope that humanity has for the future. And Paul summarized it perfectly, I think, in one verse in our text, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, in a way that both explains his reason for devoting his life to the Lord's service and at the same time challenging us here today to do the same. When Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, probably around 62 AD, he was in prison, chained to a Roman guard. Now, the overall theme of the book of Philippians is one of joy and encouragement to the church, even though Paul was in the midst of paying the cost for following the Lord. Paul was suffering for his faith. Yet here in this letter, we find in this one verse, a concise summary, the real meaning of life as well as death to a Christian. And a very important personal choice that makes it all possible. Here we find why Paul is living the way that he's living, serving Jesus and giving Jesus all he got. In this verse, Paul not only explains why it is worth any cost to follow Christ, but also he gives the future hope that is found in Jesus. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. That was Paul's commitment, that God would be glorified and the gospel of Christ spread through everything that happened in his life. And he summarizes that commitment here in a very succinct way, saying, for to me to live is Christ. That's a good summary. Paul says, the bottom line for me is that to live here on this earth means that I get to further the cause of Jesus Christ through whatever ability I have and through whatever happens in my life. To live is Christ. How much can I praise him? How many people can I share him with? How many can I teach about him? How can I further his kingdom and glory with my life? Paul says my whole life is measured not by what other people may call success, but by what I am able to do for Christ while I'm here. To me, to live is Christ. 
You know, not long ago, um, I ran into a story about some of the radical fans of different NFL teams. In this, in, in this story, they interviewed a young man who, was a huge, who is a huge fan of the Green Bay Packers. You know, he had like that big cheese head on his head. And in the course of his conversation and with the interviewer, this young man said this, and I quote, he said, I live for the Green Bay Packers. He said, if it promotes the Green Bay Packers in the world, I, I'll do it. If it doesn't promote the Green Bay Packers, I won't do it. For me, the question in everything is always, does this promote the cause of the Green Bay Packers? Well, when I read this story, it was around Super Bowl time, and I got to be honest with you, I'm thinking to myself, wow, they didn't even make the Super Bowl, you know? <laughs> but that, that young man was committed, but of course he was committed to the wrong thing. We don't live our lives for sports, we are to live for Christ. But this young man had a commitment, and we can take this kind of commitment that he had for the Green Bay Packers and apply it in our own lives in Christ. As Christ disciples, our question with every activity we participate in and every decision we make should be, does this activity further the cause of Christ? If it further Christ, I'll do it. If it doesn't further Christ, I will not do it. In any decision we make in life, our single most important criteria should be, does this help the cause of Christ? If it does, we'll do it. If it doesn't, we won't do it. Because for us to live is Christ. We make our decisions by whether it benefits him and advances his kingdom. It's not, do I want to do this? It's not, does it make me money? It's not, does it feel good? It's not, do other people want me to do it? Or is everyone else doing it? No. The question for us is, does this further the kingdom of Christ in the world? That is the way we are to make our decisions in the world as disciples, as Christians. Because like Paul, for us to live is Christ. The reason God has us alive here on this earth is to glorify and serve him. We need to remember that. We're alive. Why? Because God has a purpose for us. Now, we may not be alive in as a dramatic fashion as Paul, but we are alive, but we are alive nonetheless. God has seen fit in his providence to keep us alive. So we need to ask ourselves, for what purpose has God kept me alive? Why am I here? What is his purpose? The short answer to that question is right here in this verse. To live is Christ. God has not given us in our life for something as shallow as following our hearts or chasing our dreams. He has not spared us so that we can waste endless days watching TV, playing games, seeking entertainment. He gave us this life to glorify him, to live for Christ. That is what we are to live for. Not to make a name for ourselves, not to spread the fame of our favorite sports team or, or, or even our church or any other cause. But God has given us this life to glorify him by spreading the gospel of Christ. That is the purpose of life. That is what God has you here for. Your goal is to do that the 
best way you can with the particular gifts and abilities that God has given you. Make no mistake. Your purpose in life is to further the name and kingdom of Christ. To be able to say, for me to live is Christ. So Paul says his life is all about living for Jesus so that he can say to me to live is Christ. But he also says, and to die is gain. Not a lot of people um, that... Now, now, to a lot of people, sorry, to a lot of people, you know, to die is gain, that sounds even more odd than to live is Christ. Someone might think, well, okay, well, maybe to you, to you, um, to live could be Christ, but to say to die is to gain, now that's a different thing. Not too many people really think that way. Many people think of death as the worst possible thing that could happen to anyone. But Paul says, no, to die is gain. Now, the word gain here in the Greek Bible is the word kerdos, which means profit. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, Jesus says the, slave, the slaves invested their master's money and they made a profit with his money. That is the word that is used here. It's a business word. It means to make a profit. So Paul is saying here, hey, death is not something I'm afraid of. He says, I will actually profit if I die. It will be better for me if I die than if I live. In fact, he elaborates on that in the next verses of this passage, where he talks about the tension between whether he would rather stay here and continue service, or if it would be better for him to die. And he says in verse 23, I have the desire to depart from this life and be with Christ, for that is very much better. We need to look closely at this expression very much better because it is incredibly strong. It stacks two adjectives and an adverb right on top of the other. Very much better. The first word, polo, means many, much, a multitude. The second, malon, means more than, better rather than something else. And the last, christen, means better, stronger, more excellent. So Paul, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just stacks these comparative one, one upon the others to just emphasize this. To die and be with Christ is a multitude more excellent, better than life. Polon, Molon, Christen. Much more better to die than to live here on this earth. He says it's a gain. It's a profit for him. That is the Christian attitude towards death. Honestly, I don't think most people have this attitude. It goes against our natural inclination. And God has instilled within mankind a powerful desire to live, which is a good thing. But our faith in God's words tells us that there is something much more better waiting for the Christian person after death than anything we know here on earth. 
And that something that is so much better is God himself. Notice Paul doesn't say, I want to die and go to heaven because that is so much better. He doesn't say, I want to go and see the streets of gold or the pearly gates because that is so much more better. He doesn't say, I want to go and ride that perfect horse or play that perfect round of golf in the sky because that is so much better. He says, I want to depart and be with Christ, for that is much more better. See, it is Jesus himself who is the goal. It is the Lord who makes heaven much more better. This goes back to the very heart of the gospel, that God made us specifically for himself. As C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. Just like a solar-powered machine is designed to run off of the sun, so we were made to be empowered by the glory of the face of God. But we ruined that when we sinned against God. And a shadow fell across our relationship with God that cut us off from him and his glory. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. This is what that verse means. That by our sin we separated ourselves from the glory of God that we were made to thrive off of. But God still loves us, even though we sinned, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. So now, if we'll repent of our sins and come back to him and ask him for his forgiveness, we can be forgiven and know the glory of God again. We can begin to taste that glory now in our personal worship and in our corporate worship. And then when we die or when Jesus returns, we will bask in the presence of his glory forever with no sin, with nothing to hinder us from all the blessings of his, of his glory face to face. That is what David is talking about in Psalm 1715 when he says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. David says, One day... When I awake in heaven, I am going to be satisfied with your likeness, Lord. He says, I will be fully satisfied by the glory of the face of God. He says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. The glory of the face of God himself is what is waiting for us in heaven. And Paul says that glory and pleasure and joy will be much more better than anything we have ever experienced here on earth. We need to learn to really believe like Paul, like Paul did, that that as Christian, to die is gain. It is much more better. That is our hope for the future. You know, sometimes the smallest words have the biggest impact. And that is true here in our verse. Paul says here that this statement is not true for everyone. You know, Paul could have said, um, for all to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he didn't. Notice he said to me, 
to me. This was true for him, but it wasn't and isn't today true for everyone. It is only true for those who have genuinely committed their lives to Christ and decided to live in this way like Paul did. For one, not everyone can say, for to me to live is Christ. Most people don't live for Christ, so they can't say that to live is Christ. They aren't spending their lives advancing his kingdom in the world. They aren't telling anybody about him. For them to live is not Christ. For them to live is just themselves, their will, their pleasures, their own way. What about you? Is for you to live Christ? It certainly should be as a disciple. See, this is not true for everyone. This is a personal conscience choice you have to make that for you to live is going to be Christ. You have to choose to make Jesus your own personal Lord and Savior and commit your life to follow him. You have to choose that whatever situation or circumstance you come into, you're going to glorify him and that your circumstances are going to be your witness stand for Christ. This is a personal choice you have to make. For me, for me. And how many people, even those of us here this morning, could really, really see death as gain? What Paul says here is not true for everyone. It is only true for those who have made the personal decision that for them, this will be true. It is a personal decision. For me, he says, for me, this is a personal choice. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is the invitation. Will you make that personal commitment and choice as a disciple of Christ? That for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like Pastor Scott mentioned, I wasn't born here in the U.S. Maybe you've picked up on my accent. I was born and raised in Israel, in a typical Israeli Jewish home. Most Jewish people in Israel and also in the States around the world are secular. They're either atheists or agnostics. That was my parents. My parents are atheists. So um, growing up in Israel, as we celebrated all the Jewish holidays, which are just a part of the culture there, and as we did that in our home, um, you know, I, I heard and learned about these great miracles that God did that, that, that we talk about in the holidays, and, and I really believed that those miracles really happened. You see, even as a young child, I never really bought into my parents' atheism. I believed that God was real. When it was time for me to start attending school, you know, first grade and on, in the public school system in Israel, we studied the Old Testament scriptures. We don't study them as fact, but rather than this is a book in history that Jewish people should know about. But for me, as I read stories in the Bible, my faith in God only increased. But I didn't really know what to do with my faith. When I was 14, my dad's job moved us from Israel to New York. And my mom and I, of course, moved with my dad. And then um, I graduated from high school in New York. I began attending Stony Brook University in New York, where I was studying mathematics. I've got a Bachelor of Science in Math. And while attending university, I started tutoring students who needed extra help in math. One day I was helping this, um, this girl with her math homework, tutoring her, and she recognized my accent in English, and she asked me if I'm Russian. And I said to her, no, I'm not Russian, I'm Israeli. 
she lit up and said, oh, wow, I'm also Jewish. So that was wonderful. We had something in common. So we continued in the conversation. And at some point in the conversation, she told me that she believes in Yeshua. Now, being fluent in Hebrew, right away, I recognized the word Yeshua. The word Yeshua is the Hebrew word for salvation. But I've never heard this word used as a name. No one in Israel today is named Yeshua. So I asked her naturally, so you believe in Yeshua? Who is this Yeshua that you believe in? And she told me that it's Jesus. Was I shocked for two reasons. First of all, I was shocked to find out that Jesus' real Hebrew name was salvation, was Yeshua. Second of all, I was shocked to meet a Jewish person who believed in Jesus. I never met a Jew for Jesus before. She was the first one. So I was naturally curious and I wanted to know more. So a few days later, we met for lunch. And it was during that lunch that she opened the Old Testament scriptures to me, and she shared with me prophecies about the Messiah. And then she opened the New Testament to me, and she showed me how Jesus, how Yeshua fulfilled each and every one of those prophecies. And praise the Lord, a few days later, I prayed with her to receive the Lord. Amen. Thank you. And then two years later, we got married. So praise God for that as well. Yeah. Now, you know, when I first came to faith in Jesus, I told my parents about my faith, but they were confused. They didn't really know what to do with my faith. They thought that it was just something that, that, that would pass, something that I would grow out of. I think they thought it was something like puberty. And that was okay for me because I was able to grow in my faith. And my faith really became more and more central part of my life. And when my parents saw that, that's when they became really concerned. And actually, they kind of freaked out. So they started doing everything they can to make me not believe in Jesus. So what did they do? Well, first of all, they sent me to see an anti-missionary rabbi who was out to convince me that Jesus is not the Messiah. Well, that didn't work. So then they thought that I was crazy. So they sent me to see a psychologist and a psychiatrist. But that didn't work either. So they were convinced that I joined a cult. So they brought in an expert in cults to talk to me and to talk to the whole family. But that didn't work either. So my parents decided to disown me. And that was, of course, very difficult. Um, I will never forget the day that I went and, and packed my stuff and I was going to move out of the home and my father, um, not a violent man, just lost it. And he just started beating me up. And, and the only way really out leaving was by calling the police and it was very difficult and very hard, you know. And of course, when it was time for our wedding, my parents didn't show up to our wedding. Um, and for many years, we had no relationship. You know, after I came to faith in Jesus, um, I was convinced that if only other Jewish people and other Israelis we would hear the gospel in a, in a clear way, the way that I did, that they would also come to believe in Messiah Jesus, just like me. 
So, um, after Dina and I got married, we joined the ministry of Jews for Jesus. And, and as missionaries, um, we, we were sent and we ministered many years in Israel, but also would come here to the U.S. to minister. And you know, um, here in the U.S. and in Israel, just like other Jews for Jesus ministries, missionaries, sorry, in the course of our ministry, um, you know, we've been threatened and we've been beat up. One time, Orthodox Jews came at us with knives. That was was in Brooklyn. Another time in Israel, Orthodox Jews started throwing stones at us um, just for preaching the gospel. You know, for many of us, there is a price to pay. There is a cost to live for Christ, to, to follow Christ, to, to serve Jesus, to stand for him. You know, in this culture, in this climate today, there's a cost to pay to live for Christ. And maybe, maybe you're asking, maybe the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, I think it is. It's 100% worth it. May we be able to say like the Apostle Paul, yes, it's worth it all. Because for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for, for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. God, thank you so much for your word that challenges us. Oh God, we thank you that you enable us to live for you, to stand for you, and to say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father God, in this season and really in every season, Lord God, help us to make disciples. Help us to shine your light, God. Father, we pray that many would come to know you, Lord. Thank you so much for your amazing grace. We praise you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said.